thread, kind of like a chat where we pray with each other, you know, we let each other know information. And one of the pastors, pastors had this prayer tonight. He said, Lord, pour your Holy Spirit on your people tonight. May your word refresh, convict, heal. May it set people free. Lord, start a revival tonight, we pray. Amen. And I, I echo that prayer as we go through Matthew 18. And I pray as you see uh, that this portion of scripture, although I didn't know until yesterday, would be the portion of scripture that the Lord knew we would be going through tonight. Uh, Matthew 18. Uh, let's start there. I'll give you a little outline uh, to start off if you're taking notes. Um, kind of the way that I'm going to divide the chapter there in Matthew 18. And it's in verses 1 through 4 uh, that we see a calling to humble ourselves. We see in verses 5 through 9 that Jesus warns us to keep our sin in check because there's consequences to our sin. We see in verses 21 through 35, man, a calling for forgiveness. Verses 15 through 20, how to deal with a sinning brother or a brother that you feel has wronged you and then verses 10 through 14, and just the way that we'll close out the chapter tonight, is the parable of the lost sheep. I'm sure a portion of scripture that a lot of us are familiar with. But hey, join with me in prayer once again, and then we'll go through Matthew 18. But Lord, I, I give you thanks, Father, that we're here tonight, Lord. Uh, God, that, uh, Lord, through, through streaming, that we could view this from our homes, Lord. God, that there's different ways in which you're reaching out to us, Father. And Lord, tonight it's through Matthew 18. I pray, God, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would lead and guide us tonight as we go through this portion of Scripture, Father. I pray, God, that you would convict. I pray that you would heal. I pray that you would minister to your people through your word. God, we love you. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the videos um, are to be sent uh, to WhatsApp, and the number is 786-286-7729. And again, those are the videos for Sunday, and they're to be sent to that number, okay? Um, but Matthew 18. I'd like it if we read the first four verses there in Matthew 18. And it says the following, at the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 1. See, verse 1 says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? See, this question was often uh, on the disciples' mind. Well, which one of us is the greatest? And if you think about it, it's a question that a lot of us think about. It's a question that a lot of us 
it kind of pops into our minds. We think of sports players. Some of you guys may know that player named LeBron James. He's always having that conversation with other people. Am I the greatest? He thinks he's the greatest. But the word of God, man, it shows us something here that we should be mindful of. And the disciples, they're, they're, they're funny, you know. It's almost like they're saying, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. It's almost like, hey, let's settle this. Let's ask Jesus himself. I bet you, I bet you Jesus will tell us. Jesus is going to tell us. And then you look at verse 2, and I love Jesus' response. It speaks of Jesus' humility, the way that he was a humble man. Who's the greatest, family? Interactive. Jesus. Right? Jesus. Jesus had every right to say, who's the greatest? You really asking me that question? Me. But that's not Jesus, right? Jesus, he says the following. Jesus, verse 2. Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And I love to picture to myself what something like this looks like. You know, did, did he get on one knee and call a child? Did he smile? Did he look at him and did he come right away? I got to think that he did. Have you ever tried to call a little child that you don't know? Good luck. They're not coming to you. If they're by mom or by dad, guess what happens? Automatic leg hug. You guys agree with that? But here we see the child comes to Jesus. Verse 3, and said, assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And as he's saying this, is he playing with a child's hair? Is he pointing at the child? Our Jesus is so sweet. But he says there in verse 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Pastor David Guzik, he had this to say about children in the time. A child was a person of no importance in Jewish society, subject to the authority of his elders, not taken seriously except as a responsibility. One to be looked after, not one to be looked up to. Jesus is giving them this example. And what was the question that was on their minds? Hey, who's the greatest amongst us? But Jesus here is clearly calling them to humble themselves. And guys, that's something that we could ask ourselves. We could do kind of like a, a self-examination. Do I deal with pride? Do I think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread? I learned that one from Pastor S. Or do you realize that you, that I am just a sinner? You see, it takes humbling ourselves to be able to go to the Lord. There's three things that I want to point out. See, it takes humility in order to admit that we're sinners. Romans 3.23, we're taking notes. It says the following, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory 
of God. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, it takes realizing that you're a sinner. It takes realizing that you fall short of the glory of God. And when I say you, family, I say, I say me. I fall short of the glory of God. See, number two, it takes humility to accept that entrance to heaven is a gift from the Lord. It's not something that we earn. Family, it's not something that because we've walked X amount of days with God, because we've done X amount of things that we get into heaven. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. They say this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Have you guys tasted that yet? The slice of humble pie that the Lord's sharing with us? Guys, heaven is a gift from the Lord. Enjoy it. I think of, again, little kids when they receive a gift. Man, it could be something so silly, right? It could be a a shirt that they just really love. I think of one of my little cousins, and I gave him a a Thomas shirt, right? A long sleeve. It's Miami. But he loves that shirt. He wears that shirt like three, four times a week. The second it's clean, he has it on again. That gift has brought him so much joy. And that should be us every single time that we think about heaven. That should be us every single time when we think that, hey, I've fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing I could do, but yet heaven is for me because of what Jesus did upon the cross. And that third thing, Once saved, it takes humility to continue to walk with Jesus. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7, they say this. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God, he resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, there in 1 Peter 5, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Reminds us there in verse 6 to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and that he will exalt us in due time. See, I see people come to church a lot of times. Maybe a new believer, you know, and they're an executive. Or they're a person that is at the top of their company. And they come to church, and they expect the same thing. When am I going to teach from the pulpit? When am I going to lead this ministry? When am I going to do X, Y, Z? Are you willing to go out in the parking lot and help out and help park cars? Oh, you, you, don't, you don't know who I am. No, I, 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 I can't park cars. 
And you see, family, it takes humility to walk with the Lord. It takes humility to be able to come to church and clean a toilet. It takes humility to be able to come to church and to pick up something from the ground that you didn't drop. But that's what it takes to walk with the Lord. See, us pastors, there's nothing special to us but a calling. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the reminder is, man, to walk with Jesus, we have to humble ourselves. We have to realize that. Verse 5, as we continue through Matthew 18, it says, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Matthew Henry, he had this to say, Whatever kindness is done to such, uh, speaking of someone that humbles themselves as a little child, he says, Christ takes as done to himself. Whoso entertains a meek and humble Christian, keeps him in countenance, will not let him lose by his modesty, takes him into the love and friendship and society and care, and studies to do him kindness, and does this in Christ's name for his sake, because he bears the image of Christ, serves Christ, and because Christ has received him, this shall be accepted, recompensed, as an acceptable piece of respect to Christ. And it reminds us that we should receive all of our brothers in Christ. The quiet ones, the ones that don't say as much as others, the ones that might sit to a corner and just come faithfully every Wednesday and every Sunday. It'd be wise to reach out to them. It'd be wise to, to show them, to receive them, like it says there in verse 5, that you love them, that you care for them, that they are a brother, that they are a sister, that they belong. Verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. A millstone. A millstone is a large circular stone that was used to grind grain, said to weigh somewhere between three and 400 pounds. Heavy. Guess what else is heavy? This verse. Did you guys catch that? It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. If I could share with you guys, when I was a teenager, we went to a men's conference, and we were all camping outside, and um, I was kind of like the older of the youth that was inside of that tent, and we decided to prank call in the middle of the night different places, a pizza shop, and we were loud, we were laughing, and I made those brothers stumble. I made 
the people that were around me that night trying to get sleep so that they could wake up early and read their Bibles stumble. And a brother came up to me and shared this verse with me. And this verse has, has always held a special place in my heart because it, it reminds me that our sin has consequences. And when we fall short, it has consequences. And not only consequences that affect us, but consequences that affect those around us. And now as a pastor, if, if I fall, if I fall short, and I affect all the youth that are under me, I affect the church, I affect not only myself, but those that maybe listen to this teaching tonight. And you may say, no, but I'm not a pastor. Or no, no, I, I don't even serve at church. Family, you don't know who looks up to you. You don't know literally what little child thinks, man, tia, man, tío, he loves the Lord so much. And we have to think, we have to think about this and we have to keep this in the back of our minds. And in the word of God, whenever we see the word woe, it's like a, like a siren, ah, 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 a warning. And the warning is, we're not walking right with the Lord if we've been faltering, if we've been falling short. Guys, it's not only ourselves, but it's others that we should consider. Malachi 2, verses 7 through 8, speaks of the priest there, and it says, For the lips of a priest, again, this is Malachi 2, verses 7 through 8, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. And people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed, speaking of this priest, from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. See, because the priest departed from the way, because he fell, he caused many to stumble. And again, you may say to yourself, I'm not in that position. And I'll remind you, you may not be, but the Lord still wants to use you. The Lord, he has a calling for your life. He has people that whether you realize it or not, are looking to you. It may be at work, it may be with, with friends that don't know the Lord, but you may be the only Bible that someone reads. Remember that, family. Verse 8, as we race with time, it says, If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye, if it causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you. It's better for you to enjoy, to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hell fire. Again, David Guzik, he had this to say. There are significant problems in taking these words as literal instruction instead of conveying 
an attitude. Simply put, it really is better to sacrifice in the battle against sin now than to face the punishment of eternity later. Guys, if we're lucky, what do we get? 70, 80, 90 years here on earth? I say lucky. What's that when we compare it to eternity? What's that to eternity in heaven or hell? See, hell's not something that's brought up from the pulpit often. It's not something that churches like to throw around, but it is real. Heaven? Sure, we'll we'll mention heaven. But guess what? Hell is real. I don't know about you, but 70, 80, 90 years of saying no to sin, I think it's worth it. I think we're on the winning side, right? I think we got the, the better end of the deal there. Would you agree with me? Okay, now we'll skip to verse 21, and we'll read from verse 21 to verse 35 in Matthew 18. And here we have the parable of the unforgiving servant. And this says the following there in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Guys, I love, I love Peter. Peter is trying to be holy here. Peter, Peter's funny. You see, he sounds to hope forgiving in front of Jesus. The common thing that was taught by Jewish rabbis at the time was that we were to forgive someone up to three times. And over-spiritualizing it, Peter says, Jesus, Jesus, what if I forgive him seven times? And I love what Jesus says to him. He says, no, Peter, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For my math people, 70 times seven, I know the answer to that because I looked it up. It's 490. I would probably be able to get there if I did some simple math, seven times seven. But the point is this, 490 times. How many of us have a checklist that we keep? We say, oof. George, you just got to 400, man. Yikes, you only got 90 left. And you see, family, it's not a number. It's an issue of the heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to bring up here. It's what he's trying uh, to point out to Peter. And it says in Colossians 3, verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 
I don't know about you, but when I think of my sin, 490, that's seven times 70, it's nothing. It's nothing. And I thank God that he doesn't have a tally on the amount of times that I've sinned. I thank God that he doesn't have a tally on the amount of times that we have fallen short. Because guess what? No matter how hard we would try, we would continue to fall short. And this reminds us, the Lord has forgiven us of so much. So much. He's forgiven you of your past sin. And guys, guess what? He's forgiven you of the sin that you will commit tonight the sin that you'll commit tomorrow morning when you wake up. He's forgiven you of that upon the cross. And when we think of all of that, there's nothing that a brother can do. There's nothing that a sister can do that would equate that. Seven times 70, 490. I've been forgiven so much than that, so much more than that. We've been forgiven so much more than that. If we've been forgiven of so much, who are we not to forgive? Verse 23 to 35. And Jesus, he kind of illustrates it in this way. He says in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him. Who owed him 10,000 talents. Verse 25, but he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. Verse 26, there in chapter 18, we see that the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Verse 27, then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him of that debt. You'd think that this man's heart would change completely. Unfortunately, that's not the case. It says in verse 28, but that servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat. And he said, pay me what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Don't those words sound familiar? He was there just a couple verses ago, right? But verse 30, he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. You see, this man, he owed him a hundred denarii, equivalent to a hundred days worth of work, a hundred days of wage. Each denarii was equivalent to a day's wage, a day worth of work. So you could say that he did owe him a lot, right? A hundred days of work, three months and some change, maybe four months. If you're not working 
you know, all the days in a week. You think of that and you say, that's, that's a big number. But you see, when we analyze what he was forgiven of, that number is so small. You see, his debt, the debt that he was forgiven of, was 600,000, 600,000 times more than what he was owed. And that kind of puts it into perspective, right? And not even so. But it gives us an idea of what we've been forgiven of. When someone does us wrong, when someone falls short, man, just think about the cross. Think about our Savior. Think about the fact that he took every one of our sins upon his back for us. For that moment in eternity, he was separated from God, for me and for you. Let's remember that. And as we continue there, on my computer, I, I, I bolded these, verse, these verses, and they, they say the following in verse 32. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Did you guys catch that last verse? He spoke of heavy. That's a heavy verse. That's a verse that says, hey, if I have a, pro- a problem with a brother or a sister, I, I have to figure it out. You say, how? How do I figure it out? I love God's word. Let's keep reading in verses 15 through 20. And this, this is how we should deal with a brother that has wronged us, with a brother that maybe has sinned against us. It says in verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. See, that should be the heartbeat behind the next couple of verses that we read. That we may gain our brother. We could be honest, there's too many times when we sweep things under the rug. The world will tell you, don't worry about it. Time will heal that. That's such a lie. It's still under the rug. Look under the rug. It's under there. We have to address things. It may be uncomfortable, but no one said that this walk with Jesus would be comfortable. He calls us to the uncomfortable. It says there, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. You see, this is not always the case. Verse 16, but if he will not hear, 
Take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Obviously speaking of another brother or two that are walking with the Lord. And this family, we have to be careful with this. Because this is not for gossip. This is not so someone else knows what's happening. This is so we would keep accountable. This is so that when we do have this conversation with a brother or with a sister, man, that there would be agreeance, that we would be able to figure this out. And like it said in verse 15, that we may gain a brother or a sister. Verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Tell it to an elder. Tell it to a pastor. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Again, guys, the goal in any of this has to be you truly wanting restoration. You truly wanting not to sweep this under the rug. You have to have the right heart behind something like this. But guys, it's so important. It's so important. You think of Thanksgiving. You think of gathering with your family. What good Thanksgiving doesn't have a little argument? A little disagreeing. And that's what happens with family. At times, man, we disagree. At times, someone may say something that they shouldn't have said. It's a part of being a big family. But you know what else is a part of being a big family? Making sure that if something's said that wasn't supposed to be said, that that's corrected. And that's our call here as a family. If you felt wrong, man, speak to a brother. Speak to a sister. Let them know your heart with the heartbeat that we may gain them back. Not that we would be bitter, not that we would be angry, not that we would hold it, that we would hold a grudge on them, no family. But that we would be exactly that, family. That we would be exactly that, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Verse 19 and 20, again, I say to you that if you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I love that verse 20. It reminds us that when we agree, when we have prayers of agreeance, when we gather, man, that the Lord is in the midst of us, that the Lord is here present with us even now as we go through this portion of scripture. It's a sweet reminder. It's a reminder that, man, we should hold on to. It's a reminder that we shouldn't take lightly, that when we do things by God's word, when we look at verses 15 through 18 of Matthew 18, and we do that with a heart to gain a brother, he's there in the midst of us. Verses 10 through 14. We'll read this, we'll read one more portion of scripture, and then we'll close tonight. 
verses 10 through 15, 10 through 14. They're verses that I pray that if you haven't listened tonight, if you've been zoned out, that you would get these verses. I pray that we as a church, that we would get these verses. Verse 10, it says, Take heed that you did not despise one of these little ones. Again, speaking of a humble brother or sister. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. See, instead of despising them, we're called to love, to respect them. It speaks there of angels. And a lot of people say, oh, this is my guardian angel. This speaks of guardian angels. It could. But specifically, like it says in Hebrews 1, verse 14, it tells us that we certainly do have angels watching over us. We have ministering angels. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we have one specific guardian angel that watches over us. I say that to not be able to transition to verses 11 to 14. Guys, this is what I want us to focus in on before we close tonight. They say, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And as I welcome the worship team to come back up, I also want to welcome you to turn to Luke 15. And again, another portion of scripture that a lot of us may be familiar with. The parable of the lost son. You know, as a church, we've had the opportunity Um, the Lord has called us that at the end of our services, for the last two services, the Holy Spirit has moved and people have gotten saved. Uh, In a sense, they've stood up and they've said, I want to live for Jesus. It's been beautiful to see. You see, some of us are here tonight. Some of us have accepted the Lord. Some of us may have accepted the Lord 10 years ago. Some of us may have accepted the Lord 15 years ago, three years ago, two years ago, whatever your spiritual birthday may be. You see, you're here tonight, and you're in that chair, but you're really not in that chair. You're here tonight, and you're listening through the computer, but you're really not listening. And Jesus, he's knocking. He's knocking. I love this portion of scripture, and someone that's dear to my heart really loves this portion of scripture. And he shares it, no matter what he's teaching on, every single time that he shares in kiddos ministry. He tells me, I don't know if these kids will ever be back. He goes, I, I, don't, I don't know if they'll ever have this opportunity. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I have to share this with them. And it says there, In Luke 15, 
verses 11 to the end of the chapter. We'll just, we'll read through it and we'll end with that. Then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country. This must have hurt so much his father. And there, he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. So he realized his need. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. See, the world, it'll use us. It'll chew us up and it'll spit us back out. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We spoke of humility in verses 1 through 4. It takes humility to go back and to say this. It says there, make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose. He came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, he was dead, but is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. We'll stop there, and I promise you this is the last portion of scripture I'll share. You see, it said at the end of Matthew 18, it said that word, going astray. And it's to go away from the correct path. In Proverbs 4, verse 26 and 27, it says, ponder the path of your feet. Pray that we would do that tonight. That we would ponder the path of our feet. It says, let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Family, you may say to yourself, no, I'm not completely in evil. No, I, I, I haven't given completely in. 
Well, good. Maybe you've been wavering to the left. Maybe you've been wavering to the right. Maybe, and listen to me carefully, COVID's real. COVID has, has killed people. It, it has done that. We have to be careful. But maybe you've used COVID as an excuse. Maybe you're here tonight and you've wavered. You've wavered to the left or you've wavered to the right. You're not on that correct path. You know that you were at a place where you were walking with the Lord maybe last year, maybe a couple months back, and you were doing great. But that's not where you are here tonight. Don't step completely into evil. Don't put your foot completely into it. At the end there of verse 27, it says, remove your foot from evil. And family, I welcome you here tonight, guys, in front of your brothers and in front of your sisters. If that's you here tonight, would you stand to your feet? And if I could be honest with you, I'm standing, but I'm standing. I fall short. I waver to the left and I waver to the right. I want to be on that correct path. So if that's you here tonight, if you feel like you could be doing better with the Lord, maybe you haven't walked completely away from him, but if that's you here tonight, I welcome you to stand so that I could pray for you. That's you through the computer screen. Man, the Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows where you're at. We'll sing a couple songs of worship and then we'll come back up and close.